A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome. We are live at the Huddle Breakdown. Uh, once again, Enda has abandoned us, so you're stuck with Alan and I. Uh, Alan from Celtic by Numbers, how are you doing today? I'm very well. Yeah, yeah. Sad, sad to be without Enda, but and I think you know we, we, what we need to emphasize because I'm sure Enda will be watching this eventually. Is you know Enda, you need you know you're in Spain. You know, I think you're. I don't know if you're still in Bilbao. But look, son, you need to behave, okay? When you're there, just just behave. You know, I mean, I know you once dropped a paper cup in the street. Uh, we don't want any repeat of that, you know? Not bothered about the churches and the statues of popes, bit Catholic-y, isn't it? And the people, all those Mexican people in Spain. <laughs> Not bothered about them either. But listen, we don't want any bad headlines for the huddle breakdown. That's right. No, no bad headlines. So just, be, just behave, son. He, just he behave. better, he better travel well and represent us um, yeah. accordingly. Well, uh, now that that fun is out of the way, um, we hope Enda's having a good time. And uh, uh, depending on logistics, as he and we haven't even worked out our schedules, we go through uh, the off season here if we're going to do these or not for a while. Probably take a break at some point, but we'll figure this stuff out. Uh, rank amateurs as we are, we'll we'll just kind of fly by the seat of our pants. A- along with that, because Enda is not here to host and produce, uh, I am in a room with two live dogs who may bark at any moment. So Alan will have to go into long monologues if I end up with a, a spasm of barking <laughs> in the back. And, and because I am hosting and, and we're going to try and keep the comments going here, um, at least try to read some. I have to wear glasses because I've hit middle age firmly and despite having LASIK like 20 years ago, I'm, I'm once again descending into blindness. So um, ap- apologies for the, if there's any glare off of the glasses. Well, let's get to the fun, Alan. <laughs> it's all done. Champions again. Done. Champions. Um, what a delightful, fun weekend. Um, a lot of emotions, a lot of just joy. I mean, as someone who watched it by myself in my, um, in my family room, as, as the rest of my family slept in, um, you know, you could feel it through the TV. It was palpable, uh, just the sheer joy in, in the stadium. 
so how, how did you get on and how did you get to enjoy it? Yeah, oh, tremendously. I mean, the sun was out, you know, the, the, the crowd was in great form. It was a very emotional day. Uh, and, you know, I think with Rogic especially and, and Beton um, moving on um, and probably a few other players that we saw parading around. Um, the, lovely to see the just the joy, the players' togetherness as well. And also, the, you know, the manager. I mean, I think um, during the game against, you know, end of the game against Dundee United, he kind of took me took me back a little bit how emotional he was and how exhausted and drained he looked. Uh, I think this has been a real challenge for him, and I think it emphasises what he's what he's done in terms of bringing this group of players, which I don't think is anywhere near the squad that he would ideally like to have, and, and getting them over over the line. I mean, I think if all the focus has been on the league. Um, you know, some clubs will tell you blatant lies that the league wasn't the priority. <laughs> you know, straight straight into the Champions League. Um, and and I think he got that. We saw that in the Bodo Glimp game. It's it was the most eye raising moment of the season when we fielded a kind of weakened team in the against Bodo Glimp. But the the because his focus was all about getting this league title, and and I think it's taken everything out of him to to coax this group of players over over that line. Uh, and I, I don't, and I don't think we saw a hint of that. No hint of weakness. We've had no complaints. We've had no excuses. We've had nothing apart from, you know, just laser-like focus on getting to that finish line. Uh, so so I think all that came to fruition in a kind of outpouring of relief and emotion. And it was a it was a very emotional day. There was I was welling up when, when Rogic went off. It was it was quite hard actually. So it was it was lovely. It was a great day. Yeah, just I, I echo those comments. Um, I, I think it's really interesting. I mean, you get someone like Ange, who's, you know, quite obviously a uh, switched on guy, very um, talented and ambitious professional. Um, but even within that context, I mean, he, he walked into something that just was nowhere near anything that he had dealt with before. And we talked about this when we were going through kind of the epicenter of the injury barrage back in December. You know, for, for to manage through sixty games. I mean, his, his time in Australia. When I, I wrote an article about that, I mean, he was playing twenty five, thirty games a season, hmm. and to get into this two games a week routine and to do it really since July. I mean, it's just a totally different animal. I would think for someone, you know, even with his long CV of hmm. success and accomplishment, it's just a total different animal to walk into that kind of schedule with the squad issues with you know basically a unipolar uh force probably lacking in resources uh to a degree that hopefully they're going to address coming into the summer so if you just think about kind of conceptually all of those demands on this one individual i mean it really is extraordinary I, it, it it and I, I so i could i could get why he would be uh a, a bit um you know exhausted in many ways um and, and culminating in um you know, accomplishment and, and relief. Yeah, I mean, I, th I think I was, you know, I think we talked about it very early in the season is that, you know, I'll be honest, I didn't think the league was going to be won this year. I really didn't. Um, it would be the start of the season just because of the logistics of it and the amount of change that we'd have to go through. Um, but I get the sense almost that, you know, all, all, everything that we were told by the seasoned answer watchers is, is it'll, take, it'll take a few transfer windows, it'll take at least a year 
Um, it'll take um, maybe you know the second season you'll start to see uh, some cohesion there. And, and 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 I suspect in the background there was a little bit of at Celtic sort of saying you haven't really got a year, mate. <laughs> You've got to make this work because we have to win the league this year. Uh, and I think and not that I don't think his I'm not saying his job would have been on the line. I think he's an intelligent person. I think he instinctively knew because of the the Champions League situation that really he can't really take a year here. You've got to get this over the line somehow. And that was probably stretching what he felt he was capable of doing based on his previous experiences. And that's, as I say, before you even take into account what actually needed to be done to to create a coherent team. So all of that being said, I think that, that explains the huge outpouring of, of emotion that's come from him over the last few days which was surprising but but lovely to see as well yeah and i, I think from a supporter's perspective i, I see uh P- P- plixi i want to try to finish that uh in the comments stated um you know something to the effect that you know we're we're not used to this kind of title challenge either this kind of old school title race and uh again one, one of the first pieces i wrote last summer for, for the Celtic way was talking about kind of a back to the future concept, which is we're, we're finally probably entering, you know, an, an, an era of let's call it relative parity, meaning that you're going to have kind of like, uh, you know, when, when both clubs have had in the same, regardless of how they do it, uh, spending similar comparable amounts of money on players in, in wages. Um, and, you know, last season was such an odd season, 19, 19- 20 was truncated and um, it was really the first season that, that Rangers had kind of returned within the zip code the area code of, of or the ballpark of um, of our spending. So th- this is all kind of fresh and new to a lot of people. I mean, it's literally been a long time since we've had uh, a title challenge go down to this degree where you kind of on pins and needles for months on end. And that's exhausting, too, just as a supporter. Uh, where, you know, people would kind of trump up, uh, you know, phony concern in uh, January when Aberdeen was supposedly chasing us under dial or that kind of thing. But, um, yeah, so we, we had to get our legs stretched out again after, uh, you know, a good a good decade of, of yeah. not really experiencing uh, it. I, I, I So, listen, I, I can't get too excited about that line of logic because to me you know when you, you mentioned truncated so you mentioned trunk so i'm gonna hop to <laughs> there are so many elephants in that room right i mean you, you know that sort of oh great the old firm's back type room there's so many elephants there i mean to me um yes i i get the whole argument not just from a sporting uh challenge perspective but also from a economic uh perspective around having you know, a league that's that's got some competition to it. I, I mean, obviously, it has to. Otherwise, you know, people lose interest. I get that, but it can't be at any cost. It can't be. It simply can't be. You know, Celtic have earned the right to be the biggest club in Scotland. You know, they've they've, they've spent you know best part of twenty eight thirty years building a football club from when you know Fergus McCann took over to be in the position that they're in now. Right, this wasn't it. wasn't an overnight thing. It wasn't a two-year project. This has been a thirty-year project to build a football club that, in the context of Scottish football, dwarfs it. Right, um, not and not through nefarious reasons, not through not paying taxes, not through paying play, playing players or, or or you know getting borrowings from the bank that are not available to anybody else. It's through performance on the pitch and through your prudent 
prudent management. So, so I have a bit of a trouble with the oh, it's it's a lot better than Ham, you know, Aberdeen being thirty points behind. I get the sporting argument to that, but we are, we earned that right, and and we still earned that right. So, you know, competition's great, but you know what I want to see is a well-run Aberdeen, you know, a well-run Hearts, a well-run Hibs, which we've not seen this year at all, actually. These, those clubs could be doing an awful lot better. Um, that's that's justifiable competition. That's earned competition, you know, and that's and that's what I'm all for. And, that, and, that, and if that's how the league becomes competitive, then that's great. And if the league isn't competitive because other clubs can't run themselves in a professional and legal way, then and a Scotland hammer everybody, a Celtic hammer everybody in Scotland. Then that's just the way it's got to be. Yeah, and I, I don't. I'm not going to disagree with any of your points. Uh, my point was, it was I was attempting to make a bit of a different point, which is more of just the basic. I decided to focus on another aspect. Of yeah, that. well, no, it's fair, <laughs> fair enough. Uh, it's more so just the mm. basic, like psychological, yeah, experience of this season as a supporter, having been different for regardless of how or why hmm. um and and uh you know I, I think that probably contributed i mean Ange would have his own situation and you know all the people at the club on on the staff and etc uh with this grind um and the supporters having our own experience of of uh going through something that's you know like i like i said um we're a little rusty on so uh i i, I think that that co- the, the the combination of all that um, really contributed probably to that big emotional possibly, but I, I I would also argue it was even more important. And this is just my opinion. It's not. I'm not trying to when mm-hmm. I say what I'm about to say. It sounds like one of these horrible things where you're trying to speak for the support. I'm not. It's just my opinion, right? Is I think the level of um, connection that the club, or and certainly the team, the manager, and the players have now got backed with the supporters has been a huge reason for. You know the, the the joy and the outpourings over the last week. It's that's because Celtic is a club about about connections. It's it is a community. It is a movement. Um, not that's not to say that it's a single mind and it's a hive mind and everyone's of the same opinion. We all know from social media that's not the case. But it's it's the, on certain fundamentals um, and what's important. I think I think there is a there is a connection there, and I think that has been lost over over a number of years for, for many reasons which we're not going to go into on this particular podcast but I think it, people are feeling I, I hope anyway and I said I do feeling a greater sense of that connection and therefore to to not just to win but to win um, whilst taking everybody with you is really what you want your your football club uh, to do I think as most 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 supporters would you know I would I would hate honestly hate to be a Newcastle United supporter if they if they win the you know the Premier League next year or you know, having struggled under, under you know Ashley's kind of horrible sort of rule, and now they've got you know this this horrendous regime that that run them. I mean, how would you feel about that? What does that say to you about your what you believe in, what your values are? It'd be a horrendous situation. So I think that that connection is really really important, and that that to me even more so than the, did it go down to the last day or were within X points or Y points. It was more that. The joyousness of the football that's been played, the style of play, the ambition that's being shown in terms of wanting to go out and entertain and win at the same time. I think that that piece has really helped bring it together. I yeah, I I agree. All, all good points. Um, and but again, I think it, it all 
focuses back on one individual. Hmm. Um, really, I mean, the, the, the cult of personality. Um, well, and, I'll, see, and, I'll see two. You carry on, but I think there's two key things, but go on. Yeah, I, again, I, I think uh, the, the unique personality and, you know, you, you get the substance on the competency side, meaning that the, you know, the basics of doing the job that the man's hired to do, and then you get everything else that comes with it. And the total package of that uh, it, it is a force du jour. I mean, it, it really is. So I, I, I joked, I tweeted it. I mean, what, what, whatever they're paying him, um, you know, and I know he's talked in certain humble ways and which is also part of the package of the man, it appears. But, um, you know, he, he should, if he, if he had a ruthless agent, he should have the board of Celtic bent over a barrel, uh, to take a, pro- a percentage of profits out of whatever Champions League money is 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 brought in, because and you know, because if you just think both monetarily directly, but also like the we'll call it the goodwill to use uh, an accounting name or a, a metric or or concept, the goodwill that he's brought back to the club, it, it's almost priceless. Um, so yeah, I, I just think it's 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 pr- really remarkable. Um, uh, overall, what what he's been able to provide for the club, yeah, and I don't think he's actually even started yet. You know, coming in as he did on his own and almost making a statement that you know, if we're going to you know start mid June, if we start changing the backroom staff, that's just another level of change to manage and another set of people to kind of deal with. So you know, I don't know, I don't know whether he consciously went with what we had because he felt it was good enough. Or whether he felt actually this is the best I can do, or or what, but it was you know, probably a level of change that he didn't maybe want to face on top of everything else. Um, I still think he's got his own mark to make on the club in terms of hundred percent agree uh, recruitment and structure and you know direction and so forth. So for me, this is really just the beginning. And the reason that I mentioned, I think there were two key things that happened, two two the most important things that happened. Um, for Celtic this year, were both off the off the pitch. One one was hiring Postecoglou, and the other was Peter Lowell leaving. Because uh, you know, and I, you know, it, you can see the way that the football club has behaved over recruitment in in the summer, and especially in January, and, and potentially now, um, we're just behaving in a completely different way. And that all starts from the the CEO and and what what he sees as his remit. And, and what he believes is the way that things should be done, and it looks like, you know, Ange's getting things done the way he wants them done, and he's being supported in that so far. Um, you know, I know we've kind of been here before. You know, we felt that Rogers got what he wanted until it got to the second summer, and then it all just went to shit. You know, we had the boya, <laughs> we had the uh, the Dembele fiasco, we had the Boyata fiasco. McGinn, you know, can we go down through them? Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> So we had all that, right? And and that may that may happen again, but I, I'm gonna you know, cautiously say I don't think it will. I think we're in a new era, both in, in terms of uh, the manager, but also in terms of the, the board's relationship with the manager and how the board feels they have to behave to support the manager. I think those two things are the, are the most important things that have happened over the last year. And and you know, we've we've got, you know, so many decisions right in terms of what happens on the pitch because of that. Yeah. And I, I, you know, for, for me, it's, um, it's, uh, mostly, I shouldn't say, I I always hate to say all, but as close to all as, as you can get reasonably, 
positive in the short to intermediate term in that regard. I mean, I think that the relative optimism of all these things that we've talked about, I mean, I have my little quixotic things that I could, you know, we've sl- I've slung a few arrows at, at Ange over the season, particularly on, on uh, injuries, that kind of thing. But, um, you know, the short intermediate term, really, really positive. But when you have a cult of personality who's, you know, almost like a benevolent king, and that's really what we're going towards here. And, you know, if you can find that benevolent king, there's nothing wrong that says that that's inherently worse than, let's say, democracy, right, <laughs> as a political structure. <laughs> if you can find that benevolent king who's not going to, you know, murder and pillage and plunder. Well, um, funnily, fun, funnily but, enough, and, and, and sorry, I know just you're, you're I'm sorry, I'm not trying to patronize you here. No, you, no, may not, no. you may not know this in terms of football history, but especially international level, it used to be a democracy. Football, um, the, the, the national teams of well, certainly Scotland and, and even England and, and Wales and so forth were picked by a committee. Uh, and, and in rugby, they did the same up until relatively recently. It was a panel of people. So actually that model that you've said there is not, it's not so far fetched that, that has existed in the past. Yeah. And I, I guess what I was, uh, fair point, I wouldn't know the history on rugby for a hundred percent. Um, but yeah, even just through my, my uh, history and watching what's going on with the U.S. men's national team, I know that that's how they had done it for, for quite some time, much to the dismay of some. But, um, you know, so these are always power struggles, organizational dynamics and politics and all that stuff. Um, but, you know, when you have someone who's that important, who's not in the role. Now, maybe. And again, we have no idea how this is going to trans, uh, you know, uh, work out over time hopefully he's here for as long as possible um but you know the if he's not you know if he's not here for 10 years then you know you get a power vacuum that occurs when you get you know he's not coming in as a director of football operations he's not someone who's the architect in a role that if you're going to have a benevolent king one that's going to you know, rule for two decades, <laughs> as opposed to a benevolent king who's only going to be around for a couple of years. And, you know, so that's, those are all issues that we can worry about and talk about for the years to come. I, you know, um, but so uh, yeah, as too, close, it's too, it's too early for me to talk about succession planning. I don't want to go. Yeah, there. exactly. <laughs> Although, you know, let's ho- enjoy this. <laughs> exactly. Although hopefully, yeah. you know, that's what the board should be worried about because you yeah, always, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Um, you always need to have contingencies, but well, let's get, let's get to, um, some of the specifics on the, um, because there's not a lot to talk about with the game. I mean, the game was basically, you know, it was a six nil game. Um, quite frankly, I wasn't all that wrapped up in thinking about things from an analytical perspective, given everything that was going on and I haven't gone back to rewatch it. So again, if you have any, uh, analytical insight to, to share, please feel free to do so. Um, I think uh kind of what we can talk about next is uh you know the the, the two men who have decided for or however it's worked out they're departing the club after long um uh, uh tenures of of really excellent success and and uh service to the club um so i think we should talk about uh uh nero which by the way i i, I don't know what that like I, I struggle with his name enunciating it anyway, but uh, <laughs> I guess that's a nickname. I don't know if there's other. I guess so. I, I guess it's a sort of um, a, a, a hat tip to you know um, probably Roman Roman centurion type of uh, or Roman Roman you know uh, Caesar or whatever. You know, I mean, it's like, yeah, it's something something I, something grand like that. I think. 
<laughs> I like it. I just didn't know if there was a cultural aspect. Uh, I don't that, believe so, unless I'm missing yeah. something. I'm sure somebody in the comments will come up with uh, something a little bit more clever than that. I just took it as being like a sort of, you know, as I yeah. say, a reference like Barky. to. Yeah, I mean, a Barky. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn you into something a dog does. Yeah, there's <laughs> two, two things that dog, dogs do frequently, and you're one of them. <laughs> Well, I'm I'm going to steal Nero, so I don't have to try to pronounce his last name. So Nero and uh, and Rogic, um, you know, just great send offs, emotional send offs. Um, so maybe share some of your thoughts on on their tenures and sure. and uh, the roles that they've played through the years. So I mean, I think fascinating careers in many ways. I mean, it's unusual for two players to play so long at a big club without actually being. In every almost every game. I mean, when Bitton first joined um, the club, he was actually a first pick for pretty much his first two seasons, um, and it, and it was really um, he played with Scott Brown as a double pivot uh, during Ronnie Dyla's time, which which is a terrible idea <laughs> if you think about it. Although I think it was a little bit of um, uh, you know Bitton and Brown and Johansson, which again is a terrible idea. It's really slow, uh, you know. And it's not some, very, some squad building that was not but, very uh, creative, but <laughs> but he, but he was a but in those in the, in that time he was a first pick, and then really when Rogers came, um, there was this notion of kind of, and I don't know whether I don't know what came first. I don't know whether Beton played centre back for um, Israel maybe on occasion his national team, and then that became a thing, or whether it was Rogers' idea to. Because you know, Rogers, you know, had these creative ideas, these clever, cleverer than thou sort of, you know, which had some merit, right? So, so we saw Bitton appearing at centre back. Now, some of it was through necessity, and some of it was through you know Rogers thinking this was a great idea. And I think it, you know, is in some ways his Celtic career never recovered because he was never a regular after that, and and, and the next sort of um, six years really have been punctuated with. Um, a lot of appearances at centre half, the odd appearance in in midfield, and w- and what is the kind of counterpoint to when we come on to Rogic, is when you think about near Bitton, you remember some really really bad performances, <laughs> you know that your memory, your your moments that you remember, you know, and I, n- I will never get Astana away, the four three loss, I'll never get that out of my mind in terms of just an absolutely horrendous centre back performance. And and in, and even this season, you know, to, to his first game against Michelin, where he got sent off for arguing with the referee or some stupid altercation with one of their players, having already been booked. I mean, it's incredible that he came back from that because as a manager, you sort of think, I can't trust you. I cannot trust you in the heat of battle in a key game to actually help the team, you know, get through this. But he became quite important to. Uh, to Bostokoglu, and he he played his role this season as many players did, who didn't necessarily play every game, but he played a, you know, an important role in in the squad and in the in the side. To uh, but it, but back to his preferred, well, I think should be his preferred position, of central midfield, and so you know you go you go through the trophies, whatever it is, sixteen trophies or eighteen trophies that he's won, tremendous. He's made over two hundred and fifty appearances for Celtic, which in most clubs would get you into the Hall of of fame for that particular club. So you cannot argue with that. You cannot argue that he's found a way to be useful um, for a number of different managers in a number of different roles. And he's he's almost become what I call backbone, as in 
is one of the individuals who is a senior professional in the dressing room, has utility over and beyond what he does on the pitch, is seen as somebody who's important to have around the club. But, you know, my understanding is with both players, the club wanted them both to stay and there was ex- contract extensions on the table. But for personal and family reasons, they feel it's time to, to move on. So having said all that, you know, trying to be balanced here, I think, you know, we celebrate Bitton. He, he was a key holding midfielder for two titles. He contributed to many, many more. You, you couldn't you couldn't point to a, a game where you, you, you could say, oh, that was near Bitton's game. He, he he won that cup semi-final or he, you know what I mean? He, 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 I think he had he had some great games, obviously. I mean, this season, I think he came on at, I, at Ibrox and actually was brilliant and, and really just helped to solidify the midfield. That, that was what he was capable of doing. There's many games where he did play at the back and he was playing you know, home games against lesser opposition where he was, range of passing was just superb and he, and he, and he was excellent. So, you know, it's sad to see him go, but, you know, at the end of the day, he's a squad, a squad player and, you know, hopefully it'll be somebody that we can uh, we can replace. So I don't know if you want to say some words yeah, I'll, on, bit, bit I'll, on before we get to Rogic. I think that might be uh, the way to do it. Um, hmm. Yeah, I, so as you were speaking there, the, the one game that sticks out to me, and you know, as, as I'm getting older, my memory's not uh, what it used to be. So the one game that does jump out to me uh, where he put in just a really solid performance, and again, I agree with you, because of he's got this kind of catalog of moments of madness and a couple of real doozy games um, mixed in there, I think it's, it's harder to remember some of the really good games that he had. And I, the one that jumps out to me, it just again, just popped into my head, was I, I think it was the first Derby in 1920 mm. um, when we ambushed them with the uh, the long kick out to the side that Edward hit out. And I think he played center back that game. Yes, he did. Yeah, uh, yeah. and and he was terrific that day. Mm. Yeah, he was. Um, yeah. yeah, so there, there were those kind of games in mm. there mixed in. And I, I think he's one of those guys where I think that if it hadn't have been for injuries, um, and maybe some internal politics is my guess. Um, I, I would have loved to have seen him as uh, the, the the middle of the four three three that that Rogers um, deployed. Meaning that if if, if Bitton would have been Nero would have been able to um, you know kind of go into that role because he had a lot of fitness issues kind of coming out of that second dial season. Um, and was never really able to stay consistently fit, if I recall correctly. Yeah, he's, it's, 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 his record is now, you know, he'll play six or seven games and he'll miss two or three, and it's, it's that kind of cycle. Yeah, so it's probably something chronic going on there. Um, but I, because I, 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 we had talked about this on some prior episodes. Uh, I've mentioned that, you know, I'd gone back through a historical study at one point, just looking at outlier games and kind of ranking all of the games that I had in, uh, uh, y scout so literally every single game ranked by uh non-penalty xg differential and just sort them and then i'd go through and say okay what players were in this game what game you know just because i'm a loser and i do spend my time doing such things um and it was really interesting that uh nero was oversampled in kind of the top games hmm. again i that might be co- correlation as opposed to causation. But as you and I have discussed, the one real outlier skill that he seems to have had is that kind of pack passing, that ability to break lines. Um, and uh, so, yeah, that that's one thing that I would have liked to have seen is, is maybe in that 16, 17 season, 
into uh, 17, 18, had he been able to stay fit and gotten selected, which again, probably not. He probably wasn't going to supplant Brown, but in my alternate universe, uh, that, that would have been something I would have liked to have seen, given the attacking talent that he would have had in front of him to break mm-hmm. lines and hit guys like Sinclair and Dembele and Edward and you know, forced yeah. at peak forest. I mean, that would have been, um, I think something else to maybe, maybe see. Um, I mean, so, remember, yeah. remember, he, remember, he, you know, he's, he's had to basically play in the same position as Brown, who, who was rarely injured and McGregor, who's never injured. So right. that, you know, to, to, to still rack up that number of appearances whilst essentially being a backup to, 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 you know, genuine legends in that respect is, is, uh, is quite remarkable really. Yeah, and the last thing I'll say, and, and then we'll move on to Rogic's, is, uh, and I've said this on prior episodes, um, I think that the the flexibility of a quality player um, being able to play in different positions and to be at least functional in multiple positions is really just a valuable... If you're going to have a squad player, um, that I think that's a, 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 a credit to him um, the, and, and really how good of a player he is and he's mm-hmm. done that he's done that for his country he's played in different positions different roles so um you know so i i, I think that's that's a a really positive way to remember him too is how much he contributed and doing things like go to playing and what was it uh 40 degree heat in astana <laughs> and yes come off in a horrible game but you know the fact that he was able to even be in a position where a, a manager like rogers would say hey i'm going to use him this way you know, not everyone would be able to make that kind of transition. Um, so I think there's some some credit to be attributed there. So let, let's move on to to Rogic, who's probably a little uh, e- easier to discuss. No, absolutely. And and again, you know, is, is somebody who I think actually this season remarkably is is going to be the season where he's contributed the most minutes he's ever contributed to Celtic. He's never got. Above, um, I think it's two thousand. Only once above two thousand five hundred minutes, you know. And if you break it down into how many games equivalent has he played, he's never broken thirty. Which means that in every season he's been here, he's essentially played less than half the games, you know. And that's just, <laughs> and and so so it's very it's very difficult with Rogic, you know, because in that respect, because he, he never he never completely dominated a season or, or or contributed in a season consistently over a, a long number of games. Um, it's just never happened. Injury has always uh, come into play. It's been double figures, numbers of games lost to injury every, virtually every season. On top of, he's the one most likely to miss games through international call-ups because of the travel logistics of getting back to Australia and the Far East, etc., so, so what you've what you, I think you, we've had with Rogic is a player who's contributed great, almost the reverse bit on. <laughs> he, he's contributed great moments. He's the he's the he is the probably of all the players in the squad. Actually, he has been the um, the provider of moments of great moments for the support in games. And you remember you don't remember? Oh, do you remember that ten game stretch at the turn of the year when? It, it was. It's never been that with Rogic. It's been. Do you remember those moments? Do you remember that goal that you know clinched the league at Kilmarnock? Do you remember, you know, the obviously the goal um, of the season at Dundee United this season again? Do you remember? And of course, everybody remembers the, the treble, the treble clinching goal, which for me personally is is possibly the the happiest, most joyful goal I've ever seen 
for Celtic. Um, you know, and I'm saying that because I'm somebody who's always kind of lived in England. So the vagaries of what games you actually get to see, there's probably huge swathes of the of the 80s and 90s, which are so very few Celtic games, for example. So 90s, probably not an issue. <laughs> 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 but But in terms of, you know, what goal will live in your memory the longest it, for me it will be that goal at Hamden you know me, me and the kids did a huddle in the front room I was in tears it went on quite a long time it was just the most joyful outburst of emotion I've never seen you know I don't I don't I must have watched O'Neill's Celtic team win a treble but it, it, it was a long time ago and I, and, I, and, I, and I think I was younger and probably a little bit more eh, it's a treble now I really, really appreciate it, and, and and he provided that that moment, and that's the sort of thing he was capable of. So, you know, he, for that reason alone, he'll live in in the memory for a long time. But he but he created so many moments. I mean, a player that has you know the the build of a rugby back, but the, you know the balletic ability of a of a tiny ballerina, you know, like a, a little a little swan in Swan Lake or something. You know, the ability to take the ball under pressure. And uh, you know to to manipulate it to get out of trouble, other players hanging off him like he's a big giant with a ball at his feet. It's just you know great, great images. We all I think we all have those memories of him uh, there. So yeah, incredible, incredible career. You know he's, he has given his his best years, and it's great to see someone like him. I think he's very much a Celtic player. He is the Australian Requelme, I would call him. You know very very much a throwback to the classic number tens of. Of, of of the of years gone by, who, who you know, he really doesn't give you a lot when he's not on the ball. But when he is on the ball, you know, magic things can happen. So I think there will always be a huge amount of, of fondness uh, and affection for Rogic, and and a little bit of regret, if I'm honest. That as I say, yeah, I suppose if he had kept fit and he could put a run of twenty thirty games consecutively. Uh, Together in a season, then you would probably be looking at one of the one of the best number tens in the world. But that's that's why we've had him for so long, I suppose, is that there was never that consistency there. Uh, but as I say, some absolutely great moments. Yeah, again, as you were uh, uh, going over that, um, it it jumped into my mind that uh, Nero is almost the Bizarro Rogic, meaning that you've got you've you've got those. A uh, handful of moments of madness that kind of probably sway the narrative on on his career, uh, perhaps a little bit unfairly, uh, given some of the quality that he did have at times. And then Rogic is like the opposite of that, where you have these just tremendous moments that probably sway things in a positive direction when, you know, the week to week month to month Rogic experience <laughs> wasn't necessarily that of greatness. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, he average, he average is appearances for Celtic. He averaged fifty-seven minutes per appearance. Yeah, you know, that, that in itself is remarkable because he was really a sub. <laughs> yeah, and that, that's I, I think uh, again to kind of get come back to the season and um, again something we, we we probably talked more about back in the fall when they were getting flogged him and Turnbull. Um, was you know i i was very skeptical coming into this season having looked at um Ange's style of play and then seeing it for for uh, firsthand that particularly Rogic would be able to um meet the demands physically and i mean it, it wasn't ideal but man did he make it work and the amount that 
I mean, you could see it, not only him, I mean, just across the squad, guys like Ralston, you could just see their body shape change where, you know, he became a leaner, meaner um, midfielder and player to be able to try and play this way. And 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 this goes back to that culture that Ange has set and that people at the club, the players, most importantly, seems like have bought into, you know, and there's personal sacrifice that goes along with that. Um, the discipline of living that way and to be able to get your something I I could stand up and show everyone I do not have uh, <laughs> in order to get your body fat down and I mean just just be able to do that because he's not gifted with the natural abilities that would lend you to say oh okay well he's a perfect fit for Angie's attacking eight role and the 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 fact that him and again to Turnbull's credit as well but Rogic in particular I mean just I I, I think um that stretch of four months. I, I just thought until the reinforcements arrived in January, hmm. I mean, it was really remarkable um, in, in my mind that he was able to make the sacrifices and the commitment and follow through and be able to do it. And, you know, he's one of the ones that did not end up getting a significant longer term injury, yeah. um, which it, probably, I, again, I would have bet the opposite. You know, if you're going to say, oh, <laughs> I don't think he's going to be able to do it. And, oh, he's going to do all this, this, and this, and go through it without picking up an injury. If so, and all these other people are, I would have been like, you're freaking crazy. Yeah. Um, so it's pretty any, amazing. I think a couple of people in the comments are commenting on, you know, Europe and, and is this really actually the way forward? And I did I did uh, check earlier, you know, his, 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 scoring, his expected scoring contribution, so expected goals and expected assists was something like 0.5 per league game or per domestic game, which is fantastic for a midfielder. And it's 0.15 yeah. in European games. And that 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 is going that was that would be a problem, right? Um we I don't think he can perform at the level that he does in the SPFL in European games. And, and you know and especially as you're you're sacrificing a lot of defensive capability by having Rogic in the team, I mean, as like I said before, a few weeks ago, O'Reilly is broadly twice as productive defensively as Rogic is. You can't absorb that and have someone who's not actually contributing a hell of a lot in attack either. So I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to leave on a downer. You know, I think there was a, I think with Postacoglu, there's a little bit of old school. Or there's a lot of old school about him in terms of, <laughs> you know, yep. uh, he, he wants to have some some a core of of good, solid professionals that are good people in that dressing room. And I suspect that, you know, the likes of Rogic, Bitton, Forrest, you know, McGregor, um, probably McCarthy even, would, would, and Hart would, would form, uh, you know, that, that, that cabal of, of, of seasoned, experienced pros that keep everyone on their toes. And I, th- and I think he would, would have been kept on for that reason. But we would have to have found a way to be more... To get more, you know, a, a, a more productive midfield in Europe, that problem would, would have been exacerbated. So that's the opportunity, I guess. Yeah, and I, that's I'm actually I'm fine with the departure uh, from a strategic perspective. Again, mm. above and beyond the welling up and the emotions, mm. you know, the, the the ruthless analytical side of me. Mm. Uh, the, these are the kind of changes we have to make. Mm. Yeah. Um, not you know, th- those were peak rocket years when he was putting up that performance in Europe. He's going to be 30 in December. Hmm. So the, and and this is probably because of all the things I just, um, you know, commended him on in the sacrifices and being able to do what he did in, in uh, the duration of this season. He's, that's probably going to be his physical peak. 
Hmm. I mean, he he cranked up the dial uh, where he may even may have even been quicker, faster, and in better shape this season than he was two or three years ago. Hmm. But that ain't happening going forward. Like you you've set a new level, and now he's going to start declining off of that. Hmm. And you know he doesn't have a half a step to at that Champions League level, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, so yeah, this yeah, is not yeah. conference league level that yeah. we're talking about or yeah. domestic yeah. level. This is going up with the big boys now. And, you know, I even worry about McGregor hmm. uh, going into next season where, again, he's getting into that 29, 30 range where is he going to have that pace, that that explosiveness at an eight? Yeah, uh, and, he's, an and, he's, and he's, eight. He's, he's one actually that struggled I say struggled. Carl McGregor struggling. You know, most right. players would, would, die, would die for, right? <laughs> right. But relatively, relative to his previous performances, McGregor actually struggled to influence both the Dundee United game and the Motherwell game. I think he was as emotionally, if not physically, as tired as Postecoglou was in dragging the team over the over oh, the line. Yep. And he's and he's got another. Um, potentially a month of international football ahead of him. So I, I, I think McGregor needs a rest more than any player. Yeah, agreed. And that, that um, may, maybe from a futuristic perspective, and we'll, we'll get to that in a little bit here, more specifically and expansively, is um, the most interesting comment of the week, I thought, was uh, Ange referencing a midfielder as a priority. And, and uh, obviously, that's an area that you and I have discussed in recent months as a, a dream box to check would be to bring in that stud. Now, again, I have, I have my own thoughts on the profile of who and what that should be. Um, uh, I, I tend to lean towards very young, if possible. And we seem to be so focusing on kind of, as I'll call middle age um, footballers, kind of 24, 25, 26 area. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, it's I. I if anything, I think Nero would have been a more natural fit to stay just because of that flexibility domestically, right? That utility, that Swiss Army knife where, you know, you're playing Dundee. Oh, oh uh, well, not going to be Dundee now. Uh, uh, Inverness. Kamarnik. Yeah, Inverness or Kamarnik, yeah. On a, on a Sunday or a Saturday following, you know, playing, knowing our luck, Barcelona. Um in oh, that would be a good draw. That would be a good draw. Well, that would be good. <laughs> just the, the repetitiveness, yeah, the yeah, repetitiveness yeah. of it, um, is you know playing Nero at the six, or you know we'll see. Maybe uh, that's the other thing that we, we can talk about as we go forward. I you know I just, I expect we're going to see more flexibility out of Postacoglu going next season too. I mean that we were that, pretty. Yeah, we were pretty rigid in this four-three-three for pretty much the whole season. And he, he's, if you look at his track record in second season, and other other places, he's also gotten to be a little bit more dynamic. Mm-hmm. Not still playing the same way, obviously, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. you know, going more to four-two-three-one or even mixing in three-four-two-one or three-four-one-two. Those kind of uh, setups. So, yeah, uh, Nero would have been one that you could move around a little more. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I'm I'm completely content because. He, he's even more advanced and the, the idea that he was going to be able to compete at Europe as a midfielder, I think is, you know, unrealistic at the, at the yeah. champions league level. So, um, so that, that segues to maybe we'll, we'll, we'll talk about one other, uh, uh, and probably the most, uh, uh, successful person at the club that has been in the headlines, which is the extension that, uh, James Forrest was, was, was given, um, and signed. And, uh, I, I, I think maybe 
some of what you talked about earlier about dressing room dynamics and the fact that these two guys are leaving apparently may have factored into this. But uh, what are your thoughts on on Forrest and his his kind of role and what do you see going forward? Yeah, I mean, I was I was surprised um, and I'm still surprised. But if I, if I try and rationalize it and the reason I was surprised is because, you know, he's what he's 30 now. Um, you know, he's had, a, I don't think he's, a, we would say he's had a great season. He's been injury hit. It's been a rough um, two seasons. Two yep. seasons. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, absolutely. So, you he'll know, be th- he'll be 31 in uh, July. Yeah. So, you know, is, is a 31 year old winger who you, you know, really relies on explosive pace over short distances to, to earn space and to, to get the ball across or to get shots in, you know, is he going to improve? I just don't, I just, I just don't see that he will. Um, you know, that's not to say you don't, you can't at the same time and in the same breath acknowledge what a wonderful Celtic career he's had and what a, a marvellous player he has been for Celtic. Um, I just don't know what it says about what, what his role is going to be going forward. Um, now, if the idea is that, you know, he possibly doesn't want to lose all his senior pros, that Forrest has a lot of utility in being a good squad player to have around, that, is, that he's going to be a filler in, that he's going to maybe do different jobs, maybe on the left, on the right, even sometimes through the middle. Um, and, and, and you know, because I suspect he was one of the top earners. You know, he's, he's now not one of the top earners, because, and then that's reflected in the length of contract. If all of those things are true, I can I suppose I could be quite sanguine about it. But if, if, if the case is he remains one of the top earners, he's now got another three years, and he's going to play a, a, a pivotal role in the team going forward, I'm scratching my head <laughs> uh, from an analytical perspective. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with any of that. Um, I guess my my, my uh, I, I'm a big softy with some of this stuff, despite uh, probably. Oh my, yeah, <laughs> we all are. <laughs> my brand. Yeah. Um, so you know, you get and 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 um, a couple of people on on Twitter, but uh, uh, I think it was Kevin, a guy who, who interacts with me quite a bit. Uh, had brought up a good point about um, uh, the homegrown qualification for uh, Europe. Now, that wouldn't necessarily mean give the guy a three-year deal uh, to make sure that we have enough for Europe heading into this year. But if you think about squad planning, I mean, who could be leaving? And we already have um, likely exodus of of maybe Mikey Johnston. We don't know what Stephen Welsh, the plans are there. You know, so there, there's a fair amount of potential turnover in homegrown, and you don't have uh, a pipeline of academy talent that's poised and ready to make that leap. Mm. Um, so that was a good point that I hadn't thought of that was mm-hmm. raised as it came in. Again, I'm not, yeah, I'm not sure about the three-year aspect, um, but the, you know, the the, the fact that um, he came up through the academy, he, he's. Uh, I, I post, I mean, we just have no idea what the contract details are, obviously. Um, you know, we don't know historical negotiations where maybe he stuck at the club at a time when, you know, he could have gotten more money down south and, you know, maybe he didn't uh, hold the club's feet to the fire to squeeze out every last nickel in a, in contract negotiations. So you just never know what these kind of potential loyalty aspects of it um, I agree with you. I mean, I would think he's probably going to be a depth option again to play maybe some of these post-European games. And I think against bottom six teams, I don't have any concerns where we're going to have teams pinned back that he can't function 
at a, at a uh, sufficient level because again most of the stuff that he's really good at i think translates to that you know we're our pressing and counter pressing isn't as big of a deal when we've got you know some of these teams hmm. um pinned back so and he's still just a really talented guy high high skill level um so yeah i i, I think i i have I don't have an issue with it at all, um, given all of the backdrop. Hmm. But again, it's it, it comes to back down to another slot that probably isn't ruthlessly efficiently being allocated, and that creates, you know, dynamics that you need to be even better in the other decisions that you make to kind of have this luxury. I think it's worth it given who he is and his role at the club and his tenure at the club. But I think reasonable people can can disagree on that kind of thing. Um, well, we're at, we're at 51 minutes, so let's, let's talk about the future then, um, mm -hmm. maybe do five or 10 minutes on that and then we'll get everyone the heck out of here. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll peruse some of the, the comments here to see if there's any other ones that we can bring up. I appreciate everyone commenting and we got 140 people viewing live. Uh, you all need to get lives. Okay. Um, but, uh, yeah, so going, going forward, what, what are your thoughts on, um, you know, kind of planning for next season? Um, you know, I think we're generally optimistic, but, um, you know, what, what kind of where's your head at as far as where, where we're heading? Yeah, I think there's still a lot of, um, you know, doubt around the, the squad. There's a potential for a lot of changes still. Um, you know, I think there's a, there's a, a probably a rump of reasonably expensive senior professionals. So I'm thinking, you know, Barkas, Bolongoli, probably Julian, Soro. It's crazy how many people yeah. should be out. A Yeti, you know, you, you we really need to be freeing up. They're, these are players that clearly are not going to be playing a part. They're all and they're all kind of mid twenties guys on on probably quite quite good wages. Um, there's probably a few youngsters. I say youngsters. I mean, there's players who are out on loan who um, are probably too old for the um, the uh, the B team that play in the Lowland League again next season. I think there's a there's quite a strict kind of age limit there. So if you're 21, if you're not sort of age 20 in in the year of this that season, then I think you're too old. So if you're 21, 22 now, so I'm thinking about players like Afalabi, uh, Coffee, uh, um, you know, even Hazard that's out on loan, McEnroy, Shaw, Connell. Uh, Luca Connell, etc. Robertson, you know these players. These sort of players, like you say, they don't look like they're going to be first team ready. Or there's there's no real indication that that, that is the case. So if you add if you add all that together, um, and then you consider players that you, you you do wonder what the future might hold. So again, I'm, I think you mentioned them already. Um, you know, you mentioned Welsh. You mentioned you know, probably Scales, McCarthy. Uh, I know I'm allowed to say scales because Ender's not here, <laughs> and Ender's, Ender's busy causing you know mayhem in Spain and probably going to get arrested. Um, if you think if you think of, if you think of players like that, then you know I'm sure we won't get, lose all of those players. But that's a tremendous potential for again tremendous amount of turnover. We're looking at you know 15, 20 players, and then and then you're looking at you know as I say, will he look to recalibrate some of the backroom? As well, will he look to put more of his? Does he feel he's got now got the authority to perhaps get get more of a uh, a backroom in in the wider sense? I don't just mean like his coaches. I mean the whole structure infrastructure there that they, that he wants. That all suggests a heck of a lot more change. Um, you know, for me, priorities of the same as I think when the last time we discussed this, it haven't really changed. I think if I went through 
I could make a case for you know a, a goalkeeper that's probably uh, ag- more agile and better with their feet, as a, even if it's just a backup for a year or, or to bring in and to start sort of you know sharing the load with Hart. Um, if if we've we've got that, we, I mean, I'm not going to get into the whole Carter Vickers Jota thing because we simply don't know what's going to happen, and it's just painful to consider again lone players that you fall in love with and what's going to happen to them. So <laughs> the, we could be looking at at least two centre backs. We definitely need some more cover at, at uh, left back. We're probably looking for another at least one more number eight, uh, it, it possibly two, at least one more uh, wide person. The only the only position that actually looks quite well uh, covered, <laughs> considering where we normally go to uh, in the start of a new season, is, is striker, where you've uh, you know arguably got four players that can play that very very well. But other than that, there's there's probably I would say five starters, that arguably you could say that you, you could make a pitch for. So if I'll, I'll push on you here a little bit, because I'm curious what your answer will be if if. Um... If the club decided that they wanted to, because I don't think that from a financial perspective, I don't think there's going to be a requirement to do this. Um, so that's a nice position to be in from a flexibility perspective. But if there were one player that you would say, okay, the club's kind of kind of reimposed this discipline of monetizing a player's value to bring in resources to reinvest, um, what what player would you think fits that? profile and that you would not have a problem with on top of that where you you would be fine if not fine but you know what i mean that we could maybe acquire someone who could replace their production Hmm. um i I don't think there's anyone i was just looking through there i don't think there's anyone in the squad currently who resembles the profile of a an ayer or an edward or somebody like that who has put together three or four seasons of consistently strong performances from a young age and is in that sort of early 20s bracket where you're going to get a premium fee uh, and is looking and is probably from a career perspective looking for that big move i can the only one that even comes close to that would be turnbull he's the only one but even he had a very injury, injury hit uh, campaign um and although i think he has posted a couple of good seasons when he has played with Celtic and he's 22, um, you know, and he's got two years left on his contract, Turnbull. Um, he's the only one that I think you would even remotely resemble that. I don't think the the guys, the Japanese guys or O'Reilly or Giacomacos, anybody that's signed in the last sort of nine months would be looking to to move on or any any hint of that and or, or would the club be looking to cash in on. So I don't know what we would have done if we hadn't got into the Champions League and let's say we had to sell somebody. I don't know who we would have right. gone to, actually. That's that's probably a bit of a concern. Yeah, I think we probably would have needed to. Um, mm. or, and or it may have ended up in kind of taking some or either or both of um, the loan players mm. out of the picture from a resource perspective. But the, the only other one that I would even think about um, is Abada. And, and that's more so from a... Um, uh, you know, he, he still his profile is one where he's probably going to be attractive in the transfer market, meaning that as the market's going down, market's getting more efficient and moving down the age brackets mm-hmm. uh, where you're seeing kind of 18, 19, 20 year olds. I think he'll be 21 when when for next season. Um, 
you know, so I, I, given his production this season, I would think there might be a market for him where you could probably monetize uh, a good chunk of of what. And again, who knows what sell on fees? Knowing we don't know anything, but I think he came in for like four or four and a half. So if you could sell him for ten or twelve or something like that, that wouldn't shock me. Um, and to be honest, if we could get and it's all it's all what ifs and maybes, right? So if you could get ten or twelve for him, I'd flip him in a heartbeat um, and reinvest it because again, mm. I think as good as seasons as he had, I, I'm not sure from a fit perspective that we would have a hard time reinvesting that money and, you know, uh, getting similar production. It's not probably going to be the exact same production, but something close enough where you could say, okay, because I, I don't, you know, depending on what goes on, he may not even be a lockdown starter heading into next season, depending on who stays. And, you know, they've said they've, they're prioritizing a, a right wing um, potentially in a transfer market, or at least I've heard that over and over again. So um, that would be, and I'm not saying we should do it. I'm just saying that would be the other one that if there was, because uh, he, I, I think he would have a higher market relative to his situation. To your point, I agree with you on Turnbull. You'd probably be selling low on him. Uh, whereas I think for Abada, if if you're going to sell somebody, he had a good, really good season. He fits that age demographic where there's value, where there should be a market for him. Um, and he's probably not, you know, if I was going to sketch out an ideal player for, for Angie's system, it's probably not him mm. again, not that he hasn't done an amazing job this season, but, um, so that would be the only other one I, I would think. So, so, for, so, uh, so as a sort of academic money ball type conversation, I completely mm. get that. Mm. Um, I, I, but I still think a lot of Celtic supporters, a lot of people completely underestimate how good he is. Um, I, if you, if you were to see his output. Uh, put against twenty-year-olds in the leagues across Europe, you'd be astonished. He'd be, he'd be like, I think, in the top five, would be my guess in terms yep. of what what, he, what he's done. Um, and that that has to on smart for smart clubs, like you say, they'll 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 have him on his radar. But it'd be very unusual for him to um, to to leave after one season. I would have th- I would have thought, but another season with with a slightly you know improved performance, and yeah, I think we could be talking talking a, a big move. Yeah, and again, I, 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 I'm not advocating for it. I'm simply saying that if they were going to try to pick someone else out, yeah. if they were going to do it, I think he would, he would, because uh, the, the cupboard is fairly bare for this profile, as you pointed out. Uh, so he, he would be the only other one that I could think of. Um, yeah. Okay, well, we're up over the hour here, so I think we should probably just uh, c- call it a day. Uh, I'm going to do a quick promotion here. Enda did not ask me to do this, um, but I'm going to do it anyway. So as he's out uh, gallivanting and frolicking across Europe, he's doing this football wanderer thing. But he's not, he's not misbehaving. He's picking he's up his litter. Yeah, he's he, picking he, up his own litter. He's, he's, he's being a good citizen of, of the world. Um, so he's doing the football wanderer. You can catch that on Instagram. Uh, he also has a dedicated uh, YouTube channel. So you can search for the football wanderer on both platforms and, and uh, follow him on Twitter at Cole and uh, f- follow his journey as he continues to neglect his uh, real job, which is uh, hosting this, this podcast. And um, now I've got to pick up the slack. I'm, gonna, I'm going to bill him personally. Um, so he better have Venmo or something where he can pay me. But uh, thank you, everybody, for, for tuning in. Uh, we'll keep everyone updated probably over Twitter as far as what the plans are. I, we don't have plans right now, so we'll, you'll, you'll find out when we find out. Um, so, uh, Alan, it's been a pleasure as always. And yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks to everyone for all your comments and participation. 
Yep. And uh, we will talk to you later. Have a good one.